the uh, beginning of the year. We've had a lot of conversations around that. And I was going to give some jokes about grey-haired old men. <coughs> but then Henry got up and I thought, no. <laughs> you resemble it. Yeah, it's one thing you notice when you're camping, you start to take a perspective on, on life and you sit around the campfire and, and I noticed how many grey-haired old men were doing strange things. Especially my brother, he's over 60 and got grey hair. And uh, the other morning, he was sitting down reading the orange juice bottle and he was there for about two hours. And my wife came out to him and said, what are you doing? He says, well, it says concentrate. <laughs> Better jokes? All right. Well, on, <laughs> on the way to Alveston, you go past that new Liberty Servo. And it, uh, there's a sign outside that says, clean restrooms. So he did. <laughs> right. <laughs> Let's start with a message. <laughs> Lord, save me. <laughs> You're such a kind crowd. <clears throat> um, during this holiday period, it is a time where people make New Year's resolutions and do things that they want to start doing. And, and I was looking at the idea that in Tassie, people go off and climb mountains and walk uh, on those big bushwalks. And I saw a comparison between this pursuit and the Bible. So you can see that this is going to go somewhere. And um, the first peak that I wanted to mention is Mount Wellington, 1,271 metres high, in quite close to Hobart, so everybody can walk it, but generally people jump in their cars and drive up it. And there are amenities at the top and the bottom, and you get views. Um, and it's quite an easy thing to scale. Next peak that I was thinking about was slightly smaller, 1,223 metres, is Marion's Lookout. And Marion's Lookout is that peak that's near Dove Lake. A lot of people go to Dove Lake, they like to walk around there, and then they go, huh, I might go up there. And so they go for a walk up Marion's Lookout, or they're starting the overland track, and so they've got to go that way to start the track. So it's sort of on the way. Not necessarily the destination, only the amenities are um, just at the bottom. You, there's no things up the top, and it's a little bit rugged towards the top, a little bit of a climb. And uh, it's still on the tourism route. But the biggest mountain in Tassie is Mount Hossa at 1,617 metres. It's challenging. It's across... Away from the tracks and trails, you've got to be a dedicated bushwalker. You've got to have the gear, you've got to have determination, you've got to know where you're going, and you're on survival instincts because you're out there on your own. There are no amenities. So I was comparing that with biblical mountains. First off, Wellington reminds me of Philippians chapter 2. Easy access, very well travelled. A lot of people go to Philippians chapter 2. We discuss it, we talk about it, we put it in life groups, we put it in our discussion groups. And it's one of those passages that people spend a lot of time in. Then uh, Marion's lookout is a little bit like John 17, Jesus' prayer. Not necessarily where people head off originally, 
But you end up there because it's so significant in the Great Commission to know how to pray and how Jesus prayed for us, how he prayed for those who would believe from his disciples. Very good passage. A little bit tougher, a little bit more thought-provoking. Mount Ossa, the big one. I think that's Romans, and in particular, Romans chapter 8. It's the biggie. It's the big climb. We have become right with God, who is righteous. God is righteous. His nature is righteousness. And God makes us right with him by the gift of the one and only who was righteous, Jesus Christ. The church becomes an example on the earth of the glory of God's righteousness. God's righteousness helps us work through what it is to live as a Christian. So we're going to go for a walk up Mount Ossa. I'm going to take you for a little journey. The first thing you'll see is one of the boards that they put at the bottom. And it says, head of the trail, so many hours return. Hmm. This is where you decide whether you're going or not. Because this could take up to four days. This is a rigorous walk. And I think going into Romans is one of those walks. It's a bit rigorous. Actually, it's a challenge to take on the book of Romans. But it's a deep look at the gospel. The problem is it's in legal speak. So Paul classically does all these sentences about this long with about 42 commas in between which are all caveats and clauses, and so it makes it difficult sometimes to navigate, navigate what he's actually trying to say, apart from all the little rabbit trails that run off that sentence. It's an orderly statement of the principles of the great gospel, and it contains the development of profound theological truths. In summary, you could say it like this. God created a beautiful world and creation, chapters 1, which has been spoiled because humans who should have been looking after it on God's behalf have messed up. And when we mess up, it's not just humanity that is losing out. God's purpose in creation loses out. By the time we read through the first eight chapters of Romans, we get to the point where God is saying, now there is no condemnation for those who live in his plan. And so he's put a different plan into effect to save us. He sent his own son in a human body, just like ours, except that his wasn't sinful, and he destroyed Sin's control over us. And now he's made it possible that we can follow him by following the Holy Spirit. That's a summary. That's chapter 8 and verses 3 and 4. I actually quoted from the Living Bible because I find it really helps me to get that point. The kingdom of God that existed in Eden will be recreated by him. Complete love, complete freedom and fellowship in God's presence. Everything God does is right. 
His nature means that he does things in perfect unison with rightness, justice, love, truth. It all is encompassed in a word that I would call righteousness. Everything he does is right. Every time he acts, he acts in a right way. You can be confident that God is doing things towards us that are right. He can do no wrong. There is no shadow of evil, no shadow of, of um, any kind of limitation in him. He is right. And when he acts, he acts towards us in a righteous way. So then when we're seeking the will of God, we can know that he will be guiding us to what is right. If you want to know your purpose, what you do is you look at the righteousness of God and see what he is doing, his purposes, and his purposes will lead us to our purpose because it'll be right out of his nature. The book of Romans has actually sparked many revivals as people become aware of the magnificence of God and his grace towards us. We need this book and we need the God of this book. We need him and he has authored this book. This book stops us drifting away from God's purpose for the church and for each of us as disciples. So I want to encourage us to consider Romans as something to read and to study. Now on my journey up towards Mount Alistair, I might take a compass, and I need to know where north is, and I need to know which direction I should be heading. A key verse in Romans is chapter five and verse 17. Yes, there it is. For if by the one man's offence death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Still, that's a bit technical. It doesn't flow. I find it, you know, a bit tricky, but it does have the concepts. Man's offence. Grace, the gift of God, the gift of righteousness, reigning in life. I like J.B. Phillips. He wrote a paraphrase of the Bible and his uh, way of saying this was, for if one man's offence meant that men should be slaves to death all their lives, it is a far greater thing that through another man, Jesus Christ, Men, by their acceptance of his more than sufficient grace and righteousness, should live all their lives like kings. We can live like kings because we live like the king who lives in us. We're living out of that righteousness that he gives us. We live out of that to live like a king, to live like someone who is reigning in their lives. There's a power that seems to come out of this, these verses that says you can, and it's possible, in Christ. In Christ. That's what um, uh, Romans 8, 28, 
is talking about when it says, and we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. God is working out things through us. That's his purpose. He's wanting to work things out through us who have been called according to this purpose. So life is being restored to mankind in the here and now. That's what I really like about Romans, is that it continues to bring the word close. It continues to bring the idea that we're not looking for this distant perfection that is only in heaven, but there is a actual a, um, a relationship with God that is working in your life in the here and now. Um, I'll talk about uh, the distant hope a little bit later. The second sign I might see as I'm walking down my trail is the height of the mountain, which I've already mentioned is 1,617 metres. How high can we go? Romans 8 and verse 37 says, Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors, more than conquerors through him. Just even that idea that we can do more. We don't have to live in a conquered state. We live more like a conquering person. We can uh, um, approach our problems. We can approach the difficulties. Just like Henry's testimony, which is making it so easy and clear to understand that in the long run, he has been able to see the goodness of God, the provision and that he is a more than a conqueror through him who makes us, who loves us. And the height that we can go to, and I think that this is something that this year will be coming out more strongly, is the following two verses after uh, verse 37, is 38 and 39. There, is, there are no petitions in God's love. There are no limitations in God's love. Verse 38. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The church has and you have the full love of God. There is nothing that God's love cannot tackle. When hopelessness arises, when we see the strength of evil, we come back to God, you are a God of righteousness and a God of love. Look, show us the way through this. We need to know your way and your path to full love to express you at this particular point. The church is a tangible sign to the watching world that love can break barriers of all kinds, displaying God's righteousness. Third sign I might see as I'm walking down this trail is a map of the walk showing the trails to the summit. And like a lot of mountains, there's more than one pathway up. Now today, I'm taking you up one itty bit of it. There's so much in this book, I can't take you up all the trails that lead to the summit of Romans, and particularly Romans chapter 8. There's so much content there. 
any following speakers who want to take up the challenge, I'll leave it with you. They say if, if Romans was a symphony, it might be called the righteousness of God and that it has four movements in that symphony, four distinct parts, but they all relate to the one thing, the one central theme. Um, the, a, a more broader name for it might have been the gospel, recreating creation to become the display of God's righteousness. So those four movements you might see between chapters one and five, where we're short, falling short of God's righteousness. In ver, chapters six through eight, we're becoming God's righteousness with no condemnation. In chapters nine through 11, Israel's failure to be turned around in some of the areas that Paul was trying to address. And chapters 12 through 16, living in God's pattern, a church in God's purpose. I'd like to read that one again. A church in God's purpose. We want to be a church in God's purpose. The fourth sign, the geological formation. Anybody know anything about uh, what uh, Oss is made of? Actually, no hands? Okay. <laughs> Paper mache? Dolorite. Exactly. They say it's from the Jurassic period 200 million years ago, according to Wikipedia. Um, has anybody here walked to Mount Ossa? Glenn? These two? Wow. Anybody else? Did you just hop out of the car and then there was Mount Ossa? Or what? Where? No? Hiked. Four days, so I had that bit right. Um, foothills, big hills, gullies, many, lots of work. It's an yeah. yeah. I didn't hear that. Ah, Mount Doris. Yep, yep. Yes. Dorothy the Donsel. Right, Romans written in chapter, uh, it, Romans is an old book, but it wasn't written at the start of Paul's, uh, just after his conversion, it was in about AD 56. So it had time for him to have all these discussions with many of the synagogues and try and hone this message that brought the Jewish nation along the journey to find that God is the righteousness and this is the plan that he's always been trying to achieve. He did it back as far as Adam and Eve, where he said to them, go forth and multiply and have dominion on the earth. He said to Abraham, I will make you, I will multiply you, I will make you as, as common as the sand on the shore or the stars in the sea. <laughs> stars in the sky. <laughs> Some of you didn't pick that up. And you will be a blessing to all nations, to all families on the earth. You will possess the land. God is still trying to do that. He gave us the Great Commission to go out into all the world. He wants us to take what is his presence and take it and multiply it and disciple people in it. 
I think um, one of the things I said was that it, Romans is a book that has a lot of legal speak, but people have picked through certain key texts, we'll have a look at them, and they have tried to simplify what the message of Romans and the gospel is. So let's start with chapter 3 and verse 21. I found I don't need my glasses for close-up. But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. So the righteousness of God has been revealed through Jesus Christ. So what, this, what the gospel is not doing is saying, get saved and go to heaven. That's all you have to worry about. Get saved and go to heaven. It's saying it's about the righteousness of God. For there is no difference, it says. For in verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We are unworthy. And I think when you're not a Christian, when these kind of talks come up, you know that you don't feel worthy, you don't feel clean, you don't feel perfect. You're aware of your sin. But God has another plan. And even as Christians, sometimes we battle with the old man trying to come back to life and drag us back into a sin life. But God has a plan. Chapter 8. <laughs> Chapter 5 and verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. I think when I found this verse before I was a Christian, it was like it was saying, but God demonstrates his own love for me in that while I'm still sinning, because I just didn't stop sinning straight away. I had a sin nature that was trying to live and I was doing actions out of that sin nature that kept trying to come back to life. And so... Uh, this was a significant scripture for me because it helped me to understand that while I was still sinning, Christ died for me. And he would take care of the sin that I had done, was doing, and would probably do in the future. Chapter 6 and verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. When we work, we earn wages. The wages are a payment for what we've been doing. When I live in the sin nature, I do actions, and the actions are just representative of that sin nature. But that sin nature brings us death, and it has to be taken care of. If we break the sin nature, then we take care of the power that's trying to work in our lives to keep us bound in guilt and shame and destructive habits. Let's flip to chapter 8 and verse 1. There is now. There is therefore now. There is therefore. 
We have to read chapter 7, but we don't have time to understand what the therefore is therefore. <laughs> but there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, who do not walk according to that sin nature, but according to the Spirit, the leading of God. Verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus was made, has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. As I've already quoted, Jesus died in human likeness, so humans could be Jesus' likeness, walking in the Spirit and being right with God. Let's read on in verse 5. For those who do not live, and hopefully you don't mind reading the Bible, we're going to be doing a little bit of that. Verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So continuing to live with that sin nature unfortunately means that we cannot please God. And so we want that sin nature removed from our lives. Verse 9. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. If you want a definition of what is a Christian... It is, do you have the Spirit of God? The presence of God living in you. The Spirit of God living in you. The seal of heaven living in you. It changes life eternally to have that presence in your life. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he has raised, who has raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. This might be something you already know. But what a great confirmation to read the word together and to come to a common understanding that Christ has done something for us that guarantees our life now, the life in the, with the Spirit of God in us, and our future, having our mortal bodies not have life, but the Spirit of God have life. I've started working in a mortuary. Um, and so I've learned, well, I've had to address, the first thing is, how to deal with people who are deceased. Um, this is a book 
that talks from a temple perspective. It says our bodies are a temple. The Spirit of God lives within that temple. And it has life. And there's life coming out of that temple. And we share that life. But when the spirit of the person is gone, we have a corpse. And a corpse does not speak the same as a live person. It's really helped me to see the difference between what it is to be alive (laughs) and what people look like when they're finally passed away. Anyway, it wasn't meant to go there. (laughs) So I was saying about the Bible, Paul wasn't after an agreement on an argument. He was after your salvation to give you your vocation. We say it again. He was after your salvation so that he could give you God's vocation for you. Romans chapter 10, verse 9, uh, verse 8. Sorry, Dylan. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And if there's anyone here this morning that this is a mystery, this is not making sense, you don't know what it is to be alive in God, you have not yet met Jesus and had that encounter, if you're sitting there and you're saying, my heart is going kathump kathump really strongly, something's being spoken to me, I wonder what it is, it's because this is a message the Holy Spirit would be amplifying in your life. It's time to have the life of God in you. And I would invite you at the end of this service to come to the front and talk to Tim and Kate or me, whatever, We would like to see you receive this gift of life, the purpose of God in your life, so that you can live in a way that pleases God, with his righteousness living in you. Romans 10, verse 10 or 9 said that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. So we believe with our heart and we believe with our mouth by confessing that we are um, that Jesus is Lord. And verse 11 says, "For the scripture says, "Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him." One of the things about God is that He will never reject your confession of Him. He is rich to everyone. It doesn't matter how bad we feel about ourselves. It doesn't matter how many times we've failed or we've fallen into a pattern of failure. He will never reject our confession of him. He is Lord. He will help. He will save. Because verse 13 says, For whoever calls on the name of the Lord Jesus, the name of the Lord shall be saved. One final sign 
and I even, even, haven't even got to the mountain. Mountain, there are minor mountains, Pelion's Gap, Mount Doris, or Doris's whatever. Doris, Doris. And I was thinking that you get to these places on the way where you sit down for a while, you've been looking at the back of the head of the person walking in front of you, trying to have a conversation and yelling, hopefully that their hearing aids are turned up loud enough so they can hear you. And you sit down and you sit down face to face, you get out drinks, you have a bit of trail mix, you have a rest, you look around at the view that you have at that particular point, and then you start discussing stuff that's been mulling away because you've had plenty of time to think. And there's a question that came up to me in my thoughts. If we reign in life through Jesus, I became a conqueror and my body is a temple of the Spirit, then why does so much of the churches, the broader churches' messaging revolve around getting people saved to a remote place called heaven at a remote time? Instead of how to keep our lives as righteous tabernacles of Jesus, a tabernacle for Jesus to live in, a tent that he can live in, to be seen in the here and now. So that we're not just focused on what's happening, you know, I've got to get you saved so you've got a ticket to heaven, but rather the righteousness of God is close and I want you to understand how close it is and how important it is to live with that righteousness inside your life. That was what Paul was trying to say to the people. Um, the, the church is a display of God's manifold wisdom. One final scripture, Ephesians chapter 3. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. I'm sure everybody else does that. 3 verse 8. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Uh, if the musicians wanted to return... They're welcome to, to come now. I want to encourage us to think about climbing into the purposes of God. That this year might be a challenge and that you might set yourself a challenge to be a bit rigorous about your devotional life and inviting time with the righteousness of God impacting how you think and what you want to see in your life through this year. It's hard to know whether people come to a meeting like this where they don't have some sort of despair or 
um, concern that's really penetrating their life at the moment. But God has come to meet you through Jesus Christ. He turns around our shortfalls. He turns around our failings. And he removes the sin nature that clouds our ability to make good, godly decisions. He takes away the penalty of sin, the presence of sin, and he will take away the the power that drives us into wrong decisions. When we sit in his presence, we receive his righteousness, his rightness, his right ways of doing things. I want to encourage us to worship him and to know his purpose. If we want to know what we're meant to do this year, sit in his righteousness and his purposes, his purposes will inform our purpose. Oh my